0: hello and welcome along to wilson and windsor's libertadores podcast a podcast exclusively dedicated to all things copper libertadores of course the grandest greatest most magnificent competition club competition in south american football and myself david windsor and mr oliver wilson this week we discuss the tournament that has really got up and underway with the introduction of the group stages the first round of fixtures in the groups, we wiped away the tears about Jefferson Soteldo's departure from Santos. Ollie Wilson changed numerous predictions that he made just a week ago. We already we looked at the goals, the late drama, the young talent coming through. We talked about Gabby goal, Hernan Crespo. What's the cutoff age for players in the Libertadores? We've settled on about 40 uh, and and so much more. Um Ollie, that was a rapid fire, but I think a good summary of the opening round of fixtures uh,
1: a great breakdown if I say so myself of a great week of Libertadores action um, the only other thing to put a bet on is what week does David Windsor run out of superlatives to describe the Copa Libertadores um, <laughs> in this group stage because I think you've thrown three or four off the uh, off the bat already there and I don't want to hear a repetition throughout this tournament
0: grandest, gr- grandest greatest magnificent three adjectives that will never be described never be used to describe uh, Franco Soldano. All right. yeah that's
1: fair that's fair <laughs> i mean you can't describe something that doesn't exist on a football pitch so <laughs> how can you look there, there was loads of great games loads of twists and turns um i might be flip-flopping already on who i think might win the tournament <laughs> making rash decisions after a week and i might be getting frustrated at the number of sides that we predicted to be quite good uh not taking their chances but we had plenty to talk about this week and plenty of action to uh, dive into
0: awesome awesome uh ladies and gentlemen Enjoy the pod.
1: Pulling it back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Araga pulls the trigger. harassing club look like they're going to be the only argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa libertadores group stage okay that's enough about the genius
0: of florentino perez and the inevitability (laughs) of the european super league which um i'll be all over when it eventually happens let's talk Copa libertadores mr wilson and if the group stages if the the qualifying for the group stages really teed us up nicely with some good storylines and and really good clashes, I thought the first round of matches, Oli, just totally didn't disappoint. Goals, late goals, drama, surprises. And already, even with five group games to go with this round done and dusted, I thought there were matches and results that I immediately thought, wow, that's so big that in your next game, you need to pull out a result. You know, for example, Santos uh, losing this week. Uh, you know, and they got they go away to Boca next without Soteldo, and I'm already thinking, Jesus, Santos last year's runners-up, kind of need a result there. So already it was kind of teeing up what's to come. But listen, we'll start at the top, Ollie. Uh, but but just your general thoughts on the group. I mean, it was a it was a good round of matches.
1: Uh, it was fantastic round of matches to open the tournament. I think it's reinforced a lot of some of the things that we said last week. Um, it's definitely highlighted how strong that Group A is, for instance. And, and how we said that is the best group. And thankfully, we're going to start with it, which is awesome. But also, I think I've seen a couple of teams come to the forefront that I wasn't necessarily expecting. But then when you think about it, you're not that surprised either. And we'll come on to them a little later on in, in the show. But there were some huge results. I think Group B as well has thrown the biggest spanner in the works this week uh, in terms of one of the results in that game. We'll go through all of it, of course, and, and touch sure. on them as we uh, as we go through.
0: Only 16 games to get through, yeah. So we'll we'll rattle through as quickly as we can whilst dwelling on 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 exactly what we what we want to. Uh, group A, Independiente del Vai 1, Defense at Eustesia won. won. Uh, Carlos Rotondi scores really early on for Defense at Eustesia, kind of ran the length of the pitch, very smart finish, and then Independiente del Valle equalising through Christian Ortiz, who, by the way, Christian Ortiz. A brace against Gremio. And two of the best goals I think you'll see in the tournament this year with the free kick and the lovely, lovely two-touch finish. Mm. And then he kind of follows that up with a wonderful header to equalize against Defensa Justicia. And with three goals already, three great goals, he's kind of well placed up the top goal scorer charts already. I think he's going to score more goals in this this group stage and and go on from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was... If you think that Palmeiras will probably win the group... These clashes, the two games between Independiente Del Valle and Defensive Justicia, are pretty crucial. And from what I saw in the game, it was quite an even contest and a point of peace.
1: It's, I, I would beg to differ in that one slightly. It's the same problem that Independiente Del Valle had last year. of They need to find a finisher, and they've got Ortiz mm. who's got his goals right, but... They need somebody else supporting because this, for me, was a game that Independiente Del Valle should have blasted defence that he through. They had so many chances. Lorenzo Faravelli had that miss from a yard out, which how he doesn't turn it in in the second half, I have no idea. I mean, Ortiz's header is exceptional. But you look at – I'm not a big stats man when it comes to football. I think with my American sports, I, I definitely am. But when it comes to the beautiful game, I think it's better to look at the, the broader picture. But the stats, the stats are rather telling in this game. 78% possession for Independiente Del Valle, 27 shots on goal compared to just four for Defensa Justicia. This team is a great watch and agonizingly frustrating, even for the neutral, when you want to see somebody actually putting away even a tenth of the chances that they make in this game. They could have had two or three if they did that. Um, I thought even the Rotondi goal, it was a cheap giveaway in the heart of the pitch. Rotondi's quick to capitalise and burst through. But the way that Independiente Del Valle gave away possession and were caught so high up the pitch too. they It's basically... crazy.
0: Se- seven minutes in to, for him to pick up the ball, as you say, on the halfway line and suddenly there's no one back there at all. It's bizarre. It's
1: and and to, bizarre goal. to break into... Uh, uh, sorry, to make camp in opposition territory like that from the early going shows how aggressive this Independiente Del Valle side is, which in one way is a, is a a is a blessing... But it could also be a massive curse for them as the as the tournament goes on if they do end up getting caught out in this manner. But look, it was a joy to watch in terms of both sides play good football. I think Defensa e Justicia held their own to some extent. Um in terms of look, Independiente del Valle create these chances, but they don't put them away. I think Becca Sese will be very pleased with a point on the road in Ecuador as well in Quito and surviving this. And uh, yeah, it sets up the battle for second place really nicely in this group. But I don't necessarily think that Palmeiras are the nailed on favourites to to take this group either at this point, because as we'll discuss in a second, they didn't have the easiest time against Universitario.
0: Amazing that you went through talking about independent advice, mischances without referencing their, their game against Nacional that saw them knocked out last year, Oli. But it's interesting that that marker, you know, that what we saw in that, contest wasn't perhaps a one-off with with Torres not being at the club now and it may well be a big feature of their their performance in the tournament this year
1: yeah and I think everybody that watches football doesn't want to see a side doing that creating chances and not being able to finish them and it will be frustrating watching him if that ends up being a marker that is is labeled on them for a long period of time and particularly in this tournament I mean how frustrating would it be to see a side like this go through a such a difficult qualifying rounds get to the group stage, go into a great group, look and feel the part of a really good copa Libertadores side, but not be able to finish their chances and fall out mm. back into the Commonwealth Sudamericana, possibly. Or even, you know, finish bottom of the group. Who knows what Universitario are going to do in, the, in this group still. It would just sure. be, it'd be a weird story for a side that we do big up quite a lot because of all of the positives that we see from them. Or I being yeah. up quite a lot because of all the positives. No,
0: pieces. no, but I think you know beating Gremio home and away <laughs> in the in the qualification was was an, another massive marker, really. And I, yeah, I don't think that the draw's going to going to affect them in terms of their qualification chances. But it depends what happens in that reverse game. I think against Juventus Eustisia. Palmeiras, the champions, the reigning champions, beat Universitaria three two, but only just, Mister Wilson, because Renan, the teenage substitute, came on and scored right at the death five minutes into stoppage time. This was after, uh, well, Danilo had scored for Palmeiras, young defender in the first half. Uh, Rafael Vega made it 2-0. Universitario came back to make it two apiece with two goals from uh, the veteran Enzo Gutierrez, and then Renan scoring right at the death. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Palmeiras kind of squeaking through in the end.
1: Yeah, Alan Emperor's sending off was a big turning moment in this game because... The universitario score from the free kick after that red card he gets his second yellow uh midway Silly through. as well yeah it, it's just again this these are the problems that we've lobbied at palmeiras that they on paper have a great side but there are complications that they add themselves into games i mean there are some great positives danilo hair is probably a great positive for commentators but not for Definitely. him his look or <laughs> I, I don't know trends in general in football if you haven't seen it it's the brightest white. It's almost almost a similar colour, actually, to the Universitario kind of creamy colour that they have on their badge and, <laughs> yeah, and kit yeah. as well. It was almost like an homage to the opposition they were playing. Rafael <laughs> Vega's strike is a, is a wonderful hit to uh, to give them a two-goal advantage early in the second half. And then, as I say, it all, it all capitulates with the, the, stri- the two goals from uh, Enzo Gutierrez that give the Peruvians a real chance. And a 10-man Palmeiras side was certainly, well, definitely rattled on the road uh, in Lima against this side that we're expecting to probably end up being the whipping boy of the group uh, th- there are mistakes that can be made and, and that again is why you look at just going back to Independiente Del Valle if you can't finish chances this is a side that can punish you Defensa at yeah. Justicia will probably look at Universitario at least away from home and think that's still a very difficult game after this I thought they did well to keep their heads up and come back into it and then Renan yeah right at the end I mean there, there has been some really neat stories of youngsters already in this competition that we've referenced sure. but it's another teenager coming up to the forefront to make a, a big impact right at the death 95th minute i mean get out sure. of jail or what
0: yeah it was awesome and um yeah I, a lot of Palmeiras's problems as you say kind of of their own making i mean danilo's handball mm. for uh, the universitaria penalty is just kind of a it's just such a clumsy thing to do. The ball's moving away from goal. Danilo's arms are kind of up when he's tussling with his man and it strikes his arm so clearly. It's an obvious penalty. But uh, yeah, Palmeiras through and um, Palmeiras through. Palmeiras with three points, I should say. So certainly Palmeiras. Uh, We're in uh, knockout <laughs>
1: stage mode still. I was doing that all <laughs> week in the Sud Sudamericana this week. Don't worry. I was thinking like, yeah. oh yeah, that's a great first leg lead. No, it isn't. Sure. No, it isn't. It's about the points. <laughs> uh, just quickly, do you know the game last year that Renan played in the Copa Libertadores off the top of the head? It's only his second Libertadores appearance. Made one appearance his, last year. His
0: first goal. Uh, no, hit me.
1: Uh, it was away against Delphin that cruise that they had in the first knockout stage. Palmeiras. Yeah. Just yeah. wondered. Just wondered. A little bit of uh, no, no, a nugget no, that's for good.
0: you. I like that, Oli. I like that. Group B, my friend. Uh, and a bit of history with Always Ready's first uh, win in the Copa Libertadores against Inter, and oh. a big one as oy, well, really. Oy, I mean, oy, oy. Yeah, I mean, Inter, you, you kind of. Alluded to it how they continue to disappoint in many ways, and obviously the new boss there. Now, you, you, you'd hope for something good this year, but but losing away, I mean, we can talk about La Paz, the altitude, of course. But but let's give a little bit of credit to Always Ready, only their second appearance in the in the Copa Libertadores. I think the first one was back in 68 or something like that. And uh Salcedo scores a great goal, uh, Algarana's wraps it up at the end, but but really, from Inter's perspective, Oli hugely disappointing
1: um this is a disastrous result for for the brazilian side uh, particularly after as we mentioned in the preview the the bottle job of the league title you go to a side that hasn't been in the libertadores as you say uh, in so long since 68 and and who hasn't won in the libertadores and and mm. even with the altitude you would expect the brazilians to come away with something in this game and they looked so poor the yeah. the, the chances created weren't weren't very clear cut they they weren't aggressive and attacking it seemed and look credit to always ready you know they they leaned on Marcos sovero who uh, who is that experienced forward that they've got um and and was really good at being like just just a nasty little terrier he's one of those little kind of i don't want to say square players but you know what i mean He just looks like he's built so yeah. solidly that you couldn't yeah. push him over it's it's so stocky he was really good at, at creating um, the the first goal from Salcedo is a wonderful hit. Again, you can talk about the thin air and why the ball perhaps moves, but Marcelo Lomba, uh, well and truly beaten from distance. And um, aside really from Yuri Alberto striking the top of the crossbar in the second half, there wasn't much for Inter to, to really go on. And again, the, the squad that went out that, that night, I mean, Patrick on the bench, Nonato not playing, Hodine uh, uh, Bruno Paredes, you know, these were players that were really good last season. Rodrigo Lindoso, these were players that played well in this competition last year. All of them sat on the bench. I mean, you wonder if maybe... I don't want to have a go at the the bald brilliance of Miguel Angel Ramirez, but has he gone a little bit off-centre with his squad selection for this game? I mean, leaving out Patrick is a huge one for me, and I didn't see anything about him being injured or anything like that. He has been the best player over the last two years that I've seen in an Inter shirt with his box-to-box midfielder work rate and quality.
0: It's so difficult to say sometimes, though, when players are not in squads these days, Oli, with COVID hmm. and injuries, and especially like the bloated nature of Brazilian squads, the ridiculous fixture list—like you never know. Unless you've got a real inside track on the club, you never quite know what's going on. Yeah, I was actually looking at the inter side as well in the squad um, for this one, and I, I remember thinking, "Oh, where's uh, where's that um, Andres Alessandro, the the veteran? Where's he gone? I wonder if he's uh, retired or whatever." And of course, <laughs> he would uh, he would pop up uh, later on in the to- later on in this um in uh, yeah in the groups, which we'll talk about a little bit later because um it was great to see, still going could, to see for, still 40, going forty years old, yeah, absolutely <laughs> crazy um talking about veterans Ollie uh Rocket Santa Cruz is thirty nine years of age and still playing for Olympia. Who lost three-two away at Deportivo Tachira? And I want to make a small, slight adjustment and apology because I think I was previously calling them Deportivo Tachira, but the accents on the A, so it's Deportivo <laughs> Tachira. Um so, oh, yeah, well you know, we were
1: uh, flooded actually with um, comments in our preview time. pod about <laughs> yeah you know, the the Tachira faithful are a uh, <laughs> bloodthirsty brood, shall we say? <laughs>
0: Not, not happy at all. My DMs are just absolutely popping on Twitter. So Devil de Tachira beat Olympia 3-2. Um, what can you say? Absolutely massive result for them. Um, yeah, huge result against against a side like Olympia that's so experienced at this stage of the um, so experienced on this platform in the in the Copa Libertadores. um Sosa's goal is lovely. Uh, set up by Roque Santa Cruz, who's 39, he sets up uh Sosa. Uh, who's 21 so a nice little dovetail there to uh, to give Olympia the lead and the Deportivo Tachira came back with Gomez equalizing uh, Gondola scored a nice goal to make it 2-1 uh, Torres with the equalizer for Olympia and then uh, it was Lucas Trejo who popped up with 10 minutes left to play to to give the victory to the Venezuelans and a big win for them
1: yeah I mean this group has been completely flipped from what we thought it was going to be these are two really rough results for the top two on paper in this group um, a little lucky with their equaliser, Um, but the gondola header is a, a thing of beauty. Any goal that's barring in like that is uh, is absolute quality and near post mm. beats the keeper. I wonder perhaps if Aguilar just wasn't expecting it to to sneak in in that way. He looked a bit, com- not confused, but certainly approached it in a rather unorthodox manner to deal with the danger. Um, uh, do you know the link between all three of the goal scorers for Tatira this week? give me a clue um it there well there's a there's one difference between them and the rest of the starting 11
0: all three of them are non-venezuelan
1: they are the only three non-venezuelan starters in the starting 11 the only Mm -hmm. three and they all get themselves on the score sheet which i just thought was quite interesting it's a yes Little damning on Venezuelan football, perhaps to some extent. Yeah,
0: but it's interesting because I know I couldn't tell you exactly what it is, Oli. But I know Venezuela has stricter rules than most on the continent about in the league. I don't. I wouldn't want to guess, but it's something like I wouldn't want to guess. I'm just about to. It's something like seven <laughs> or eight players from every eleven have to be Venice have to be Venezuelan or something like that. I know it's a lot stricter than the rest of um uh than the rest of South America. Uh, so yeah, and, and you know we we talk a lot about we talk a lot about um. Youth football in Venezuela as well being been a really crucial part of that. So it's, yeah, that's um, a good stat. I like that. It's
1: a it's a cracking result. I mean, there's not much more you can say. I think it was just hard graft in the end, um, for uh Tatira to get the result. Uh Roque Santa Cruz didn't actually see too much from him in the game aside from the, the layoff the for the first yeah. goal, yeah. Uh it's wonderful having these swan songs of players, but at what point and we'll talk about Dalessandro as well at what point does it become detrimental to a side having this kind of affinity?
0: 40.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Rocky Santa Cruz has this 39 year old point where he's <laughs> oh, retiring sorry.
0: this year as well. He's retiring yeah. this year. So yeah, he's at 40's The Well, when it was 40, I was like, come on, man, like this is, uh, this is getting sealed unless you're a goalkeeper and I'm going to extend it to 45.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. So, cause
0: I think there's a couple of old keepers in the, in the couple of this year, right? Group C. Oh, Ollie. Mr. Wilson, he's gone. He oh, departs mate. one of the, the one of the real bright sparks in the competition last year. And if you're any kind of football fan, just a joy to watch Jefferson Soteldo in the Copa Libertadores last year. He didn't even play through the whole tournament, but of course Santos reached the final. And the 23 year old Venezuelan has, I believe, officially uh, we're recording this on Sunday. I believe officially left the club to go to Toronto in the MLS. And yeah, he goes, there's two points I wanted to make about this, Ollie. The first of all, um, is, I was reading a very interesting thread on Twitter by Anna Evans in Brazil. And mm-hmm. she was talking about how Santos only owned like a fraction of, you know, in South America, how a player players are kind of owned in pizza slices yeah. by different yeah. clubs and former clubs, which isn't necessarily seen so much in, well, it's definitely not seen so much in Europe. And, uh, Yeah, and so uh, so Soteldo's old club, uh, Soteldo's old club, eh. yeah, that's it, that's it, yeah, exactly, they still own 75% of him, and Santos only own 25%, and Santos still owe Huachipato money, so actually the money from Toronto is largely going to Huachipato and not... Santos, so it's all very confusing. That's why it took a little bit of time to go over the line. But if you're a football fan and you're not bothered about the numbers, then the the important thing is that Jefferson Soteldo is no more in the Copa Libertadores. He departs. and and How many how many goals did he
1: get? I'm just wondering if uh, if my top scorer prediction might stand strong (laughs) at all in this.
0: Uh, I'm going to give you um, an opportunity to change your top scorer prediction because I don't think it's fair that if a player leaves.
1: Bit, uh, yeah after a game
0: you get told that so I'll let you I'll let you think about that through throughout the pod and I'll come to you right at the end don't let me forget Oli. isn't um, this
1: isn't this a sad way for Sotelo to leave I mean just quickly on it I I, I this is going to be controversial it'll probably stop me from ever working ML- in MLS but I feel it's a I feel I do feel it's a slight downgrade Um, I think well, it's probably a it's... financial upgrade but you're leaving so Brazilian football and, and the Copa Libertadores steeped in history it's a move for money, quite clearly. Look, go and get paid. Uh, completely understand the financial restrictions um, uh, that South American football has, but I don't know. It it seems like this was, you know, a grand stage that could have got grander for Soteldo, particularly after he missed such a large part of last year's Libertadores and shone so brightly in the competition. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame to lose it, a quality player.
0: It's a huge shame, and not Oli. And I think when you come from a Eurocentric background i always think if you go to europe from south america fair enough right because it can not just a financial upgrade but also in terms of history and prestige and a platform obviously it, it it's a step up right in terms of a global audience but going and i don't know you know i'm not an mls expert by any stretch but going there just doesn't it doesn't fit apart from the financial side of it you wonder i mean toronto a football club like santos right just what a yeah, it, it's a strange one to get your head around if you if you park the numbers to one side. As a neutral it's a really it's a really tough one to swallow, I think. And, and I also think that I don't know, if Jefferson Soteldo really backed himself we're April now, right? The Copper America is June and July. You know, he's got could he not have played these the next five um the next five matches in the group stages of the Libertadores, backed himself to shine, backed himself to have a great Copa America. And then who knows, maybe Flamengo, maybe, uh, you, you know, Palmeiras, you don't know who was going to come in from then. And could he have just done a little sideways stop, a sideways step in South American club football. And then maybe in a year or two, taken a punt in a kind of mid table, La Liga side or, or, you know, um, or maybe in Serie A. So yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's just a shame. Also, I haven't been to Toronto, have you?
1: Uh I haven't, no. It's one of the places Pretty in Canada I've right? done. Yeah, Chile.
0: Yeah. Chile. I mean yeah, yeah. Very, very cold. So it's not a uh, it's not moved from from the sunshine in Brazil. I don't know. Uh anyway, he's gone and and Santos Santos lost against Barcelona, two nil at home as well. Um yeah, Carlos Garcia scored the the opening goal after fifty three <coughs> minutes, and then there was an own goal by the Santos veteran Para to make it 2-0 and we talked about and Diaz when we previewed the group stages of the competition kept everything ticking really nicely was in- integral for barcelona's performance but i think you also talked about borai javier borai and Gololi being a very good keeper for barcelona he's still there really important i like P- um pineda a left back leandro martinez who was also great in qualifying the year before mm. uh so you chuck in diaz and piñatares is a good player too so this barcelona side they have quality but it's a terrible result for santos
1: it's an awful result for Santos. Uh, I wonder how much the conditions play into it slightly, only because... It both, was pissing both, it Yeah, it was torrential downpour. It was a flooded pitch at times. Um, but both sides play or try to play similar football. They both like to keep it on the deck. It's not long ball route one. Barcelona just dealt with the conditions far better. Not only that, you you got sucked into the feeling that we had last year after the qualifying rounds of yeah this is a good site they are capable of playing excellent football I mean you touched on Pineda at left back and Castillo as well who's already established as a great right back the The way they're able to support the attacks is awesome to watch Damian Diaz who doesn't run has never run in his <laughs> time that I've watched South American football I've
0: never, I've never seen him run <laughs> honestly never seen him run and we did like 90 minute comms of his games uh uh, a year or so ago, so yeah.
1: And um yeah, it Barcelona looked great. They looked fast, they looked up for it, they looked really ready. Uh Santos looked the complete opposite unfortunately. And that's a bit of a harsh thing to say perhaps, but it's also kinda true. Um they were just second best on the evening and I you wonder what the reason for that is, to be honest, because Ariel Holland, we've seen this side play great football this tournament already and why it would drop off so much after the qualifying I, I've got no idea. It's very similar to Barcelona last year, to be honest. But Mm. look, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt with the weather. I'm going to say that that's affected them. I'm going to say the impending departure of Soteldo's affected them. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to Barcelona for a, a thoroughly good victory in the end on the road.
0: Nice. Yeah, and Santos, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Santos going to Boca next week ollie and it's the kind of game if they lost that then there's four games left and they really need sort of three wins out of four so so that makes it a lot trickier. was
1: it was it Flamengo who lost two of their first three the year they won it two years ago there's always somebody that comes flying back from a rough start in the group stage so that's um interesting to see also just quickly going very quickly back to palmeiras the uh the quality of those other two, three sides in Group A doesn't help with their really busy schedule at the moment and all the Brazilian sides in general their busy schedules so I think we could as I say see some real sloppy starts to this tournament from these Brazilian sides and maybe that's fallen in for Santos as well just the distractions of the regional tournaments too and everything else that's going on there's a lot of games being played at the moment in Brazil
0: yeah it's, de- it's definitely a good point um, the other game in Group C the strongest Neil Boca Juniors one. Two main points from this one, really. The fact that this was Boca's first away victory in Bolivia for 51 years, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, um, that's a good I mean, half a century, like, pretty crazy. And also, just when you see Sebastian Vija scoring a goal like that in seven minutes where he's inside the penalty area, just sells a couple of dummies, lashes at home. You think, and we talked about it last year, he is one of the best players on the continent by far I think he's in that kind of group for me of um yeah mate you know he's in a potential best 11 in the tournament he's that good he's got that kind of quality the rest of the Boca side they played quite a youthful midfield which I thought was quite interesting at altitude Mm. um there's also no Carlos Tevez in the squad uh and I think yeah I mean to be honest not much happened in the game apart from Vigia's goal and uh Boca already looking looking very good um you know, with three points on the board.
1: I think it highlights, though, the fragility of Boca, where you've said it (laughs) so many times, where was Soldano in this game? I mean, (laughs) Vigia is a winger. He's not an out-and-out forward in a 4-4-2, really, naturally. And you could see that by the way he approached a lot of the attacks coming in that left or right channel, particularly down the left where he got his goal early on. Soldano's nowhere even in the picture half the time supporting him. I mean, it's unreal how far off the pace he was in this game. And if Vija goes down with an injury, or somebody fancies moving him up to Major League Soccer, because apparently that's a thing now, um, I, I just, I just think Boca are absolutely screwed. They they won't have a chance. That you know, I love the back line. I think it's such a solid mass. Is Quiros, Lopez, Buffarini. I mean, these are all players that we've seen be so good for Boca defensively over the last few years. But it's still the problem of going forward. It's a great result on the road. You know, it's I, I I always think it's a bit tough on someone like the strongest and always ready to have these sorts of names and then they get beaten or something like that. And it's like, oh, maybe we weren't ready. It's too easy to make those jokes. Um, sure. And at least yeah. always ready had that this week in their favour. So they were OK, yeah, yeah, but not yeah. the strongest. But um, yeah, I, I do worry about, about Bocca going forward still unless they get another centre forward in that's actually going to light up that front line. <laughs>
0: I love the fact that Sordano is still there. I wonder what happens first. Does Dami Diaz break into a run or does Sordano score a goal <laughs> in the Libertadores? You know, I don't know which of those two things is going to happen first. Both at this moment in time feel incredibly unlikely. <laughs> um, let's rattle on, only to group uh, D, where uh, Fluminense won, River Plate won. Um River kind of doing what River do, to be honest. I mean... Uh, Rafael Santos Borre won the penalty, which Gonzalo Montiel tucked away on 13 minutes. And then Fred, who, if you're a fan of kind of European football or, or world football, really, you'll, you'll uh, remember Fred from, from back in the days. 37 years of age now. Fred scored a, a neat goal to make it one apiece. Um,
1: so we're going with yeah, Fred, think... not the uh, Friggi.
0: Yeah, I did go with... I went with Fred, not not Friggi, yeah. Because okay. if you open that Friggi door, <laughs> then every other Brazilian player name is incorrect right
1: i think to be honest on this podcast we've bounced around with the brazilian names sure. so much like iniki and enrique and and yeah, stuff sure. like that so yeah but i think the the at least the uh, the fredgy fridge door should stay well and truly <laughs> shut keep the cold in
0: <laughs> Keep it in for now um yeah no, i just thought in terms of river from what i saw from them ollie like they created chances they were good i mean when i s- saw montiel yeah, playing, I was like, oh my God, yeah, he's, he's still there. Like, Gonzalo Montiel somehow is still there. I know there were lots of rumours a few weeks ago that he was going to go, and Goshado even potentially preparing for that with, with signing. So, but just just looking at that riverside, and as long as they've got Borre, as long as they've got Montiel, Nico de la Cruz, as long as they've got Goshado, they're, they're always going to do it. We've spoken about how they tend to you know, just kind of squeeze through the group stages Mm. under Gachado's reign. Listen, the 1-1 result away at Fluminense is is a pretty decent result. So I think Gachado will be happy and uh, yeah, point of peace.
1: Never a penalty. It's never, it's never a penalty.
0: Why? Because the ball's... uh,
1: Boré has like toe-poked it out of play. Like it's clumsy from Felipe, but it's... I cannot stand it when a player is running out of real estate and a keeper made keepers made a stupid decision. Like it's 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 very poor for the way he's come out and and lunged at the feet of Boré. But Boré pokes it. He's not trying to keep the ball in play. At no, all. he's not. He's completely playing then in that moment for all of the contact that's possible. And I, that doesn't I, mean it's not a penalty. I just don't think. I just don't think you should be giving penalties for stuff like that when a player is punting it out of play. I just don't. <laughs>
0: but put- punting it might be doing I mean, okay like... <laughs> Santos-Borre <laughs> a bit of a disservice. You agree it's a foul?
1: See, this is the thing. Like, I can't defend the goalkeeper, and is what he's done. It's impossible to defend that. It's so ludicrous. I just think it's also – there's something in the rules that needs to be worked in that sense. I don't know what it is, but like, it's a, it's a player – it's like when you see a player kick it 20 yards further forward and then – Leave a leg for for the challenge that comes in. Like the challenge is a silly one, but the player is in no way, shape, or form trying to continue the pl- to play the ball. That's the only thing. That's why. It, that's why it just uh, it it irks me so much the way they got the penalty. Uh, uh, why is Montiel taking the penalty as well? Uh, never noticed I, him to be the the talisman from twelve yards.
0: I, no, I think they had a string of. I can't remember with a. Nica Cruz or maybe Borre himself. Like they had a few players that went through a spell of missing them and then it got given mm. to to Montiel as a result. Uh maybe Nacho Fernandez missed a couple. I remember there was he was definitely down the pecking order and a few players ahead of him missed a couple, and so he's in now and he's, he's up. yeah, he takes the pens, yeah. Um
1: Second ever game in the American R for River plate mm. in the Libertadores. That really surprised me. I'd have thought they'd have played oh, wow. more games in the Libertadores and the last time they were in the Maracanã, in the Copper Lib, was 1982 in the semi final against Flamengo.
0: Oh, that's a while back.
1: Yeah. It's a long gap. You'd have thought that, that would have be been a, almost a home from home for River Plate, considering the number yeah. of times you know they're in the tournament, how successful they are. But sure. yeah. Um, I thought Fregi's goal was great. The pass from Juan Caceres with the outside of the boot to feed him in is perfectly weighted. It's his 19th goal in the Copa Libertadores, so he'll be hitting the big 2-0 with his next one, which I'm sure he'll get. And I was really impressed mm. by Fluminense, who are one of those Brazilian sides that, again, in the last couple of years, has have flattered to deceive, really, in continental competitions. But it was a very solid performance by them on home soil. Both sides look very even, I think. If they can maintain a high standard throughout, these could be the easily the two to go through from this group. Um, yeah, River will do what they do in the group stage and then probably take it up a notch or two in the uh, knockout rounds.
0: The lad that's going to Man City, Ollie, Kaiki. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you saw Manchester City's tweet, but they said, oh, we signed him and they spelt Fluminense's name wrong. They spelt the club's name wrong.
1: Very, it's very <laughs> difficult when you're trying to organise a uh, move out of the normal realms of football and create your own super league you're very busy with a lot of admin stuff i think in that That's and true. when you're signing permanent contracts worth 300 million pounds so um, it, uh,
0: fluminense to be fair you're thinking when you try and write it down now and you're like is that an i is there an end? there is an extra n in there is a fluminense <laughs> there's another n they forgot like the middle n i think but uh yeah i mean i've seen as much as cake as i think everyone else has which is that um, twelve-second clip of him scoring an amazing wonder goal. I don't know whether you've seen it, Ollie, but it's um, you no, should check it out. It's, it's, it's awesome. Seen. Um, yeah. So that's how much I've seen of him. So I don't think it's enough to base any assumptions. Obviously, he'll go to Manchester City, go through the youth system, barely play a minute, uh, then be loaned out to another European club and be back. Well, in hopefully, time he's twenty-four,
1: hopefully, actually, he'll be loaned out to Montevideo City Torque, which is part of the City <laughs> Group. Um. With all of the other clubs that City and their ownership are invested in, so perhaps there'll be a chance for him to be loaned back to them for their common ball Americana campaign. We'll see. <laughs>
0: uh, and in the uh, other game in Group D, all Colombian affair between Junior and Santa Fe. Uh, Freddie Nostrosa scores uh, to make it one nil. osoria with a penalty to make it one apiece. So uh, yeah, it's it's quite interesting to have two clubs from the same same nation because of course Junior came through qualify qualifying to get to the group stages but one a piece in that one
1: didn't really bounce off the uh pages this game to be honest it was a game of a few clear cut chances but nothing too uh nothing no. too special Hennesstroter uh, you know the experience good player yeah knows knows this tournament better the devil you know as well in terms of knowing Independiente Santa Fe um not surprising that two colombian sides put out a very even performance apiece uh Yeah, it's an open group at the moment. I mean, Fluminense and River didn't stand out that much. It's only because perhaps they're bigger names and it's an Argentinian side taking on a Brazilian side. This doesn't jump off the page because it's two sides that know each other so well. So you don't have that feeling of a continental clash. But there's not much to go between these two uh, and and the other two in the group. So again, it it feels like an early advantage in this group stage in the next couple of games. and, And that could be key for one of these sides to put a bit of momentum together, I think now
0: yeah definitely Santa Fe hosting Fluminense next River at home against Junior as you say Oli there's parity across the board with with all sides on one point um, Group E uh, Sporting Cristal nil Sao Paulo 3 a really comprehensive performance and result for, for Hernan Crespo and Sao Paulo and um, yeah, there were a few few little points in here. I thought um, Loan Santos scoring, opening the scoring after seventeen minutes, and he was pretty lively. The twenty-one year old, certainly a man to keep an eye on. Uh, Benitez made it two nil, and then Eder made it three nil. Right at the end, it was a, it was a very comfortable win. Eder, who I don't remember in Italian football, Oli, ex Inter, ex Samdoria yeah, but I don't yeah. I don't really remember him. But but you you got a better knowledge of Italian football than I do.
1: Yeah, a solid forward in Italian football, never. Never like Billy big time, but obviously a respected striker uh, at reasonably big clubs. Uh, I would never say that he... You know, like a 7 out of 10 if you're thinking of calibre in the league at that point. Sure. So yeah, definitely uh, definitely a good, solid centre forward.
0: A great result for Hernan Crespey.
1: I mean, talking about teams that surprised me this week, Sao Paulo were awesome. They play a great football. And... Whether that's Crespo's influence or not already, um, we will, I guess we'll see as the tournament goes further on, if they maintain this and build on this. But if it is Crespo's influence, wow, he's taken this team. Because uh, last year, Sao Paulo had you know some flashy names like Pato. Dani Alves is, of course, still there and somehow made the team of the week in the uh, Copa Libertadores uh, social media feeds that I saw, which I was like, oh, they're probably better... People, from, but yeah, Danny a Alves. Great Danny chance
0: Alves. as well. Yeah. Nearly thirty-eight Danny Alves now. Yeah. See,
1: so, so he's got two years before he becomes detrimental to his side <laughs> in the Copa Libertadores. He's but, nearly there for me. <laughs> but, um, but they they didn't look cohesive in their in their movements last year. There there was no uh chemistry you felt in their build up play, and that's why they struggled a lot in the tournament. I felt. Whereas this year, that this is fluid football. It, it, I know it's one game, so it's really easy to say, and it's. Obvious against Sporting Cristal, it's not the toughest opposition they're going to face in this group, let alone in this tournament. But I just thought Sao Paulo looked awesome. And they immediately made me regret not picking them. They were one of the sides in my head that I was like, you know what? What if Sao Paulo do come good in this tournament? And I was like, no, I'll go with Santos. Santos, Soteldo and everybody look a really exciting side. And how wrong I was, at least after week one. And I love to jump to conclusions straight away. So, uh, yeah, they... Sao Paulo could <laughs> smash this group. Could absolutely play everybody off the park from the looks of it.
0: I agree with that. I was also impressed by Martin Benitez. Ronaldo is good. I like the goalkeeper, Thiago Volpi. Um, Good player. So, yeah, Sao Paulo up and running. And in the other game, Oli, Rentistas of Uruguay competing in the Copa Libertadores for the first time in their history. And we talked about their backstory a little bit last time in the, in the group stage previews. Do go back and have a listen to that pod, uh, home against Rassing one apiece. And for a large, large chunk of the game, it looked as though the Uruguayans were going to take all three points on their Copa Libertadores debut. Uh, the youngster Salomon Rodriguez scored to make it one nil. And then Cáceres, um, right at the death for Racing pinched a point for the Argentines traveling, uh, just across the water, of course, to Montevideo a short trip for them. But, uh, Rentistas of Uruguay making a Libertadores debut and a decent point for them, Oli. But it, it's one of those where they'll be, they'll think, oh, that's a decent point. But really, it was a great opportunity to win it because Racing were poor.
1: They had chances, Rentistas. There was one that really stood out when um, Franco Perez breaks in behind and he's got uh, Augustine Acosta square and he doesn't yeah. pass it. And there's been a few games that I've seen this week and this weekend where similar moments have, have happened. Uh, Forest Green Rovers had this twice yesterday, you know, so comparisons <laughs> between uh, Rentistas and Forest Green Rovers, I think uh, more, to, more of those to continue. Well? <laughs>
0: Rentistas vegan hippies.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, but that opportunity, it goes two nil and Racing are really on the back foot. And I think the, the fact it was only a slender advantage until late on and Caceres comes on and, uh, Comes up and scores uh, to save the day. But Rentistas look fun. They look like they're approaching this with the kind of absolute no fear, to be honest. No, I really enjoy that. Um, Racing poor, though, I think was expecting a little more. But this is a club that's had a lot of upheaval. You know, they lost Melito as their director of football. They lost the legend that is Lisandro Lopez, the uh, centre yeah. forward. Um, obviously, Becca Sese going as well, back to defence at Eusticia. Like, there's been a lot of dramatic change in a few months. So maybe they might be one of the slow burners. But look, let's give Rentistas their credit. First ever time in the competition, and they get a point against a big Argentinian side with a lot of heritage. So and but should have won it. Racing looked really yeah. bad at the back as well. The back three didn't look good. Obviously Sigali gets sent off late on as well. That would have been impressive for Racing that a ten men side eventually finds a way to get the equalizer. But defensively they looked a bit all over the place. Again, a lack of lack of cohesion and chemistry uh that can be that's a, something that can be lobbied the, uh, at a lot of clubs this week i think and maybe that's sure. just because of the the way the kind of the pandemic has altered things as well
0: yeah do you, yeah are we gonna be blaming the pandemic do you think how do long be some clubs that blame the pandemic in like seven years time probably for um what's the cut off, goal we get? And things yeah. Like that? <laughs> yeah what's the
1: cutoff of uh well it 20, was a pandemic
0: so. 2023 is the cutoff ollie <laughs> this year's a mess like this year is the year we're kind of, wealthier countries get it sorted 2022 is the year where the rest of the world gets it sorted and 2023 is the year where you're not allowed to blame the pandemic anymore
1: I think. well you know soteldo's only moved for the vaccine which is <laughs> which is the chant that should be uh going around every Move mls stadium <laughs> he only moves for the <laughs> vaccine yeah <laughs> that's
0: funny um yeah cool let's rattle through uh the other groups then ollie we had uh Argentinos Juniors 2, Nacional nil. Really great result for Argentinos Juniors. Yeah, very, very big indeed. And in the other game in Group F, Atletico Nacional of Colombia, beating Universidad Católica two goals to nil. Atletico Nacional, who, um, yeah, they look very impressive as well. Andrade, who I think he scored three goals now in the tournament because he scored as well as Duque. I really like Duque's performance goal too for Atletico Nacional. Very, very impressive. Um, But Andrade already kind of skipping up the top scorer charts with three goals in the tournament so far. Duque with two Those goals two in the games? tournament
1: so far and yeah. 11 goals in the league. I mean, that's a good front too that Atletico Nacional have, uh, have got themselves if their form can continue. Uh, the Colombians look far better than we saw them last year um, In and uh, far probably their best at the moment that we've seen over the last three years of being really heavily involved in covering South American football. Argentina's juniors, I, I love the goal uh, for Herrera. The overlap going across the 18-yard box. And it's really sensible from Cesar Florentin to lay it off when he does. Mm. Just waits for the perfect moment. I thought it was a wonderfully classy piece of build-up play for their for their second. Um, yeah, Argentina's looked juniors looked good. Nacional looked terrible defensively, though. Another one, all atrocious in terms of their mm. setup at the back. Nobody seemed to know who they were marking or where they were going and what they were covering. So, yeah, not great for, um, for the Uruguayans, who... Arguably are one of the strongest Uruguayan sides in the tournament, but didn't look it at all in their opening outing.
0: Yeah, and uh, Andres D'Alessandro, 40 years of age. Um, yeah, just couldn't believe he was um, <laughs> He's on the pitch for, for for Nassi now with a bit of a swan song. But uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't have much influence in the game. Had a free kick, which struck the wall. Can't really remember from what I saw of, of anything else he did, really. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely the cutoff, the age of 40. Uh, <laughs> Group G. Uh, Vela Sarsfield 2 Flamengo 3 um, I mean this was a really really entertaining game and it was finished by an unbelievable moment from Georgian De Arascaeta, the Uruguayan with a, with a wonderful solo goal mm. on 80 minutes to, to kind of to, to win it for Flamengo really you look at the Flamengo side Oli and we spoke about how they have managed to keep the core of that 2019 side uh, together and I think, uh, off the top of my head, let me get it up now. Anyway, well, yeah, like, I mean, we, we know that Gol and Bruno Henrique were both in the starting 11. So, too, Everton, Hibero, De Arascaeta, Gerson, Diego, William Arauz there, Felipe Luis, Diego Alves. It's the same group of players. They have kept that because, you know, they've, they've got the wages to, to back it up. They're much less in danger of losing clubs to the MLS. Realistically, Flamengo are only going to lose club, lose their players, I should say, to European sides. And it's all there. I mean, it, it really is all there. The goal from Di Rascueta, who's someone that, because Gabby Gol and Bruno Enrique were so fabulous in 2019, perhaps sometimes you don't think so much about Di But the Uruguayan, such a talented player, um, and it's it's a it's a marvellous goal to to win it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's Velas Sarsfield scored a couple of goals through Lucas Jansen, but uh, yeah, I mean, what, this Flamengo side, Oli everything is still there nothing has changed from when we said they've got by far and away the best squad on the continent i still believe it to be the case
1: yeah the the starting 11 reeks of quality um i do feel this week they were frustrated flamengo you you look at this game it's a it's a bitty game at times Mm -hmm. velez were very good at, at suffocating at points i don't think flamengo ever really got a chance to run riot and I think if you're a side like Vélez and perhaps the other sides in the group might look at this as a bit of a blueprint just to at least slow them down and give yourself a chance to stay in the game. I mean, Lucas Janssen for Vélez was awesome last year in the Copa Sudamericana on their road to the, um, to the semifinals. And... And they do have quality in this side. I did say they're not a team that you want to necessarily sleep on too much, Velez Sarsfield. It's it maybe a touching experience, but certainly a, still a very good side and a fun side to watch again in terms of how they attack the game. And I think they gave a lot in this game. And there were moments where Flamengo looked a little rough around the edges, not a pristine performance. I think the the penalty fortuitous because of the erratic decision of Lucas Hoyos. And again, Gabigol knows that's coming. He uh, stands, It's very similar to the Boré pen. Except that Gabigol isn't kicking the ball away out of play. He stands and turns into the contact. He knows it's coming. He's waiting the, for that contact. And The foul similar. Yeah, Hoyos' decision is another ridiculous one, really, mm. from a goalkeeper to come lunging out like that. And I think that's a key moment in the in the kind of breaking point of velez Sarsfield because they worked so hard to to get themselves back ahead once again, and then you give away a silly penalty like that in a in a stupid moment, and then as you say, there's Caeta. I mean, that could end up being a goal of the tournament. It's a it's an awesome hit. I mean, I wonder if the uh, the swimming cap will stay on for the next <laughs> few games. <laughs>
0: I was gonna say. I mean, I assume that's the head injury. Yeah, the
1: head be... injury to prevent the but... blood dripping down. Uh, Felipe Luis actually, I think, had that at one point in the tournament last year. The black uh, yeah. swimming cap, I, I believe. Got but, that right. uh, but yeah, Vélez, <laughs> They get the um, the sending off uh, as well of Manquillo, uh, and it kills off the game as a competition for the last ten minutes or so. But. Uh, five goal thriller you can't ask for anything more in the libertadores when you get something like that to open up the group an argentinian side taking on a brazilian side a five goal thriller slightly scrappy but um quality in moments in that game at least
0: yeah and the other game in group g was union la calera of chile against uh, liga de quito of ecuador um yeah, Andres Vilca scored a brace for Union La Calera, and then uh, Bilhasa scored two for Liga de Quito. The second goal, Oli, for Bilhasa, I mean, he doesn't mean it, does he?
1: I loved it. When I'd written in my notes, I'm going to ask Dave, does he mean it or not? And you'd already messaged me about an hour or two later after I made my notes. Like, I don't think he means that. <laughs> I I don't think he means it. It's it's perfectly hit, though. mmm I mean, I mean, the keeper's obviously expecting it to be um to be a cross rather than a shot, and it finds a top corner. But his first goal, more to the point, is a wonderfully controlled volley. There's so many players that would really lash at that, and instead he he hits it perfectly. Short, he hits it cleanly and steady on the uh, on the volley. But yeah, Billyase looked looked in fine scoring form for a Liga de Quito side that didn't actually impress too much on the night. Again, defensively looked very poor and slightly disjointed all over the place. Um, And Vilches, I think we said, was going to be the key in the attack for Union La Calera and certainly proved that, that he perhaps is going to be their star man if they're going to have any chance of getting into second or third in this group. Unlikely to to top it, of course. But yeah, a result that at least shows scoring prowess for, for two players, but not too much elsewhere on the pitch for either side, I think.
0: Yeah. And next up in terms of the round of fixtures, Liga de Quito home against Vélez and Flamengo home against Union La Calera. And you think, you know, Flamengo can pick up three points there, then they're well on their way to, to already qualifying for the knockout stages. Um, group H, Oli, to wrap things up. Deportivo La Guaira 1, Atletico Minero 1, and America de Cali 0, Serra 2. First of all, I, from what I saw of the game, I was... Very unimpressed by Atlético Mineiro, actually, because I thought Deportivo La Guaira had most of the chances. Certainly in the first half, they were dominant. Martinez scored to make it one-nil. Matias Saracho equalises for Atlético Mineiro, and uh, yeah, I thought the Brazilians were, were were pretty poor, to be honest. And be grateful to um, to, to 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 leave Venezuela with with a point.
1: Uh, curse of the Independiente del Valle, I believe. Created so many chances, didn't have anybody to finish until mm. uh, Zaracho came on and, and provided the the only goal for them in the game. 29 shots on goal in the end for uh, for Atletico Mineiro. I mean, credit to uh, Olses, Carlos Olses for Deportivo La Guayra between the posts because he was so busy throughout the night. Made a number of really good saves. Um, Luis Martinez's goal on 20 minutes is a, is a cracking little finish again um, to give the home side the advantage in it. And uh, Zaracho, who I'm surprised didn't start, to be honest, because he was a really good player at Racing last year before his move midway through the tournament during the the pandemic time to Atletico Mineiro. Um, I haven't kept a close eye on how he's done in Brazilian football since his move there, but I've I've always been impressed by what I've seen from him for Racing Club. And uh, yeah, comes on, gets the goal, gets the equaliser and a, a tough result for Atletico Mineiro but you could look at it as a point earned on the road and points on the road in the Libertadores are so important too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then America de Cali of Colombia losing at home to Cerro Porteño. It's uh it's a really big result this for for the Paraguayans. I know um uh, Robert Morales is in good form domestically. I saw coming into this uh, contest, so I wasn't surprised to see him score uh, on 29 minutes to give Cerro Porteño the lead, and then Cardoso Lucena making it two nil late on when América de Cali were really stretched. But that's a really good result for Cerro Porteño.
1: Yeah, it's surprising in terms of Cerro Porteño. They're not even the biggest side in Paraguay, really, and mm-hmm. uh, certainly not the most successful side in this competition in Paraguay. But um. They're always there and thereabouts, aren't they? And yeah. the last few years, they've they've been an impressive side consistently making the knockout stages. And, and it's an intimidating place to go and play. But getting a result on the road against America de Cali, who again is another side that, at least in Colombian football, people have tipped to be, oh, this is their bounce back, back to their glory years of, you know, 30 years ago. And certainly not the case. I thought Sarah played them played them off the park for uh, for a large part of the game, to be honest.
0: I'm going to give you, Oli, the opportunity because Jefferson Soteldo has departed for Toronto. I'm going to give you the opportunity to change or predict top score in the tournament. You previously went for Soteldo. Now, quite obviously, you're going to go for either Christian Ortiz or Lorenzo Faravelli.
1: I mean, some people would think that. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to say Sebastian Vija. because Boca will okay. make the deep yeah. run. And if yeah. he's there and if they bring in a centre forward, that's going to open things up more for Vigia. I mean, I guess they have one in Soldano at the moment. That's a little hard to say. I mean, if they don't play with ten men, the <laughs> then <laughs> they've got. He's got a really good chance. But yeah, I'll go with Sebastian Vigia.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good shout. Like, if Boca are going to do anything this year, then then it's down to Vigia as well, right? He's the
1: crux, definitely. He'll end up as well with the most assists and goals combined in the tournament.
0: Prediction within a prediction. I like yeah.
1: it. Yeah. Well, we're all about the niche
0: <laughs> in America. <laughs> They don't say niche, do they? They say niche.
1: It's a niche, yeah. Yeah, very peculiar. They say a lot of things really? incorrectly, though.
0: But when when I heard that said on a podcast, niche, I was like, have I been saying niche wrong all these years? But I don't know. Bizarre. What about
1: what about livery and livery? Which one do you go for? I wouldn't say either, ever. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a word I just ignore in the it's not for English me, language. It's not. really <laughs>
0: like the word. I used the word avaricious in commentary the other day. Do we know what that Avaricious. No, strong. Freedy. Oh, Freedy. you got it.
1: That's a good ad- addition to the lexicon, that. It's a very yeah, good yeah, addition. Yeah, yeah.
0: I like that. Guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. We're going to be with you every single match week of the Copa Libertadores season in 2021. That is my co-host, Mr. Oliver James Wilson. You can find him on all the socials. Oliver J. Wilson, at Oliver J. Wilson. He's on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and MySpace and Clubhouse and VR and every other thing you can think of. His social media brand is right on point. And myself, at David T. Windsor, slightly more under the radar. Do DM me on Twitter, though, and we'll talk all things Copper Libertadores and absolutely nothing else. Okay, see you next week. This was, is, and will be Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast.